No, so, so we're not we're not we're not uh, we're not talking about, uh, not talking about like uh, infectious diseases today. I hope not. No, we're absolutely talking about infectious diseases. Oh, I just uh, not AIDS. Mike gets me. Mike all the time talking to talk talks. Uh, you know, I don't know. And so I was thinking about the movie Network, which is one of the best <laughs> movies of all time. And so I was going to play that for him, Larry, but then you showed up, so it's like, should, all right, well, talks to talk. Who the, who the hell told oh. you the Network was one of the best movies of all time? Nobody told me that. It is a fantastic movie. Um, I've actually never no, seen no. that. Yeah, I never seen it either. And if and if, I'm sorry, if, if we're talking about greatest movies of all times that involve corporate greed, then Aliens is definitely like a number one. The the first one, Alien. No, nope. Alien. Aliens. 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 Yeah, I mean, I yes, I mean, Aliens is a great movie, no question. I think Alien is a better. I used to think Aliens was better, but I've I've come to revise my opinion. No, I got I got friends who think Alien is better, but uh, like Aliens definitely for me is better. Like. um just because they had more money and they decided and they pussy envelope in a way that made it like ratcheted up the tension way more uh, than the, the original, much like uh, I, I like Terminator two better than the original Terminator. Uh, or, but you, you can't, you can't have one without the foundations built on the other, but you know, sure. we, we live in a, we live in a world where people routinely crap the bed when it comes to sequels. And for, you know, you, to, to live in that era yeah. where there was a sequel that surpassed, you know, sure. the, the original in my mind, uh, or built on it, you know, in a way that made it like, you know, that felt like that much more is a uh, is is an amazing feat. Yeah, I mean, I I'm not going to disagree God with you. Bless Sylvester Stallone, but uh, certainly money uh, had a lot to do. But what I like about the first Alien, one, there's a great sort of story about that where uh, Ridley Scott was like. Um, saw the saw the original script and he was like, uh, so. I have an idea. What if, um, what if this, but Ripley's a woman, um, all the, the studio and like all the, 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 whatever script advisor and all that, like, Ooh, that's a great idea. Let's get the script back and we'll rewrite it for a woman. And he's like, no, 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 no. I, I meant like, what if Ripley's like, what if everything's the same and Ripley's a woman? So it's like the first movie where they were like, Hey, let's not like, uh, turn, make this like a woman character written by a bunch of guys let's like just make her like like let's just take ripley and make it make ripley a woman and because of that i think that that that's that's one of the things i think that really stands out about the first movie is that you have to like putting it in the context of its time it's just like if you know if you can put yourself in that mentality you're just like holy crap like that's like they wrote ripley like but it needed sigourney it it needed sigourney weaver though she pulled it off Better than By the way, hold us. on. I got to show you any other woman. My, you can't my, get um, just any woman. It, it could have just been any woman. It had to be. Had to be. My, uh, <laughs> I like that. But it's funny. I like that. It's funny you're you're talking about like corporations and, and you know how they control everything. But like I've been watching a lot of like um, documentaries while I'm like you know <laughs> had nothing sure. better to do. And it, it's it's always funny how like uh, like the finding out after the fact like the, the the boneheaded decisions that corporations made because they didn't have the vision to see something was going to be like the the uh uh the juggernaut sure. that it was because i was watching this uh documentary on um the history channel called the toys that built okay. america so they um so the guy the, you know the biggest toy company at the the time mattel was at the toy fair you know 1977 and somebody came to him and was like Hey, um, we want to do like action figures 
uh, of this like movie that's coming out called uh, Star Wars. Star sure, Wars. Sure, sure. And, and, sure. and the, the head of Mattel's like, yeah, movie movie action figures would never sell. It's you know like a hard pass. And sure. they took it to all yeah. these different they took yeah. it to all these different corporations. And they're like, no. Yeah, Kenner and Kenner yeah, Ken, was the Kenner, one. Yeah, Kenner yeah. scooped yeah. it up and 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 they almost dropped the ball too because none of the stores wanted to buy Star Wars action figures until the, until the movie came out and it became this phenomenon. And then the 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 thing was about it was is like by the you know by the time they could get production ramped up, they were going to miss the Christmas season. So they had to figure out a way to like sure. you know like still sell a product but still not miss the christmas season of the 1977 so it was just an interesting yeah thing to sure. you know didn't they and they didn't they like end up making like a bunch of characters that didn't like exist in the movie or whatever just to like no, try what get they something did was, out what they did was, um, they, or was that, that was like that was gi joe i think yeah they sold what they did oh, was maybe, they, maybe. they didn't have they didn't have the products so they sold the boxes they're like look give the box give the, yeah, give yeah, the yeah, boxes yeah, yeah, to yeah, your yeah. kids yeah <laughs> And we'll have we'll have the actual product for you by February. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's like today with with car dealers. Yeah. That's what they're doing with car dealers today. Yeah. They give you the box. They say, "Come back for your car in like six months." Yeah. But I, I that takes me back to my childhood yeah. for sure. Yeah. That takes me back to my childhood because I remember Star Wars, the uh, Adats, all those things. Uh, all those uh, like for Christmas. Yeah. Um, well, that was that was, was the, yeah. uh, that was Empire Strikes Back. By that time, the ball was rolling. And, and, and gathering speed yeah. like really quickly that's yes yeah. yes so yeah i had probably everything um and then after that the gi joes were kind of the same size i don't know if the same company made gi joes but gi no, joes back then yeah so like, was hasbro. hasbro hasbro was almost late to the game because hasbro basically they they did gi joe but the problem with gi joe was by the time the aftermath of the vietnam war came GI Joe's had like uh, dropped in popularity precipitously because there was an uh, yeah. there was an original model that were a lot bigger, yes. right? There was like they yeah. were almost like dolls. Actually, like dolls. You almost. know, Star Wars actually yeah. codified the whole three three and three quarter inches size because uh, when they were designing the toys, were like, well, if we make the toys the size of GI Joe's, the actual like vehicles are going to be as big as a coffee table and prohibitively expensive. <laughs> So we, we, we got it. So we're going to, so, so they're basically like, well, they just eyeballed it. Like make them this side. Okay, cool. That kind of thing. Yeah. 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 Cause the old, cause the original GI Joe didn't come with vehicles. Well, I think there might've been a Jeep, but they didn't like generally come with vehicles. They yeah. just had like mm-hmm. a machine gun and like a yeah. pack and whatever. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Good stuff. The, uh, that, the toys, uh, the toys that made me is a pretty yeah. interesting, uh, I, I've seen I like that. that. Completely unbalanced. Come on now, Brian. That's pretty awful. Oh my god. <laughs> He's unbalanced. This guy is a lunatic. These men lived in a much different time. God, we got some kooky people back in this time. It's not obvious that we are professionals. You're not paying attention. We know what we're doing. <laughs> but I'm serious. Can we start already? Welcome back to Unbalanced Views of History, a mostly American history podcast. I'm Brian, just a regular old history dude. And in each episode, I try to teach a little something to a guy who essentially is early aught Snoop Dogg without any of the drip. That is, he's always got his mind on his money and his money on his mind. He is my very good friend of me, Mike. How's it going, buddy? How's San Francisco? Uh, San Francisco is beautiful. And expensive, too. Um 
except for the homeless people behind me taking a crap on the street, which is like an everyday occurrence now. And Pelosi just got mugged again over here to the left of me. So other than that, everything's great. How are you doing, my friend? And I will say this. I, I, I will say this. It's it's a it's a great day um, in San Francisco as well as where you are just because it is your birthday and special mm-hmm. happy birthday to Brian. This is a very special edition. Yep. The birthday edition of our <laughs> podcast. So Indeed. happy birthday, Brian. Thank you. 26 today. Yep. Can you believe it? You look it. You, you um, look it. What? what? <laughs> <laughs> to the second power. Um, Math joke. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, I will. I just want to say one thing about the Paul Pelosi thing before moving on to the uh, the rest of this. But uh, I have to say, uh, if you attack an 82 year old man with a hammer and you fail to kill him, you suck at what you're trying to accomplish. Yeah. I mean, you are yeah. bad at your job. Um, I mean, I, I feel pretty, pretty firm that I could kill an 82 year old man with a hammer, but, uh, but I don't know. I mean, I'm not trying to, I just, uh, that's big, to say, I would that's big, that's big um, talk coming for somebody who's what? 47, 48. Shit. He's on the same that. age. I'm the same age as you. I know. As you. Yeah. Like, look, yeah. I'm, I'm just saying I'm, um, everybody thinks, uh, they can, you know, they're a badass <laughs> with a hammer in hand until that, you know, like that arthritis or whatever, like, you know, or, or. <laughs> your your joints start flaring up. You're like, you know what? I'm in. So, hey, it's a good, it's a, it's a good point. Yeah. I just, uh, <laughs> I mean, yeah. If if the nerve damage in my hand holds out long <laughs> enough to grip the hammer, I think I'd be good. Yeah. Um. Anyway, we are, as I'm sure you now know, uh, again, very grateful and very pleased to welcome back to the pod the very generous and talented comedian and actor and, according to my notes, and I don't know if this is true, the Tim Horton's unofficial spokes comic. Is that right? Um, <laughs> as far as I can tell. <laughs> no, I am not. I am not Tim Horton's uh, spokes comic is uh, that would uh, imply like a level of income that I do not have right now. So, <laughs> well, as far as I can tell, you're the only the only American that Canadians enthusiastically invite back to their country. So Larry XL. No, no, there are others. There, there are definitely plenty of others. Uh, I, I see, I see yeah. your, uh, I see your accolades online. I, uh, I don't see anybody else. Everyone else is like, stay down there, please. Keep your crazy, keep your crazy south of the border if you don't mind. Thanks so much. Um, yeah. So yeah. welcome back, Larry. Good to be back. Gentlemen, I'd like to, uh, get back to our roots here in episode three and, uh, and ask, um, briefly as, uh, I don't want to be too long tonight, but, uh, what's your sunshine tonight, guys? Through you this week, I guess. Larry, go ahead. You first. Uh, what is my sunshine? I'm. I've gotten caught. Uh, I've had time to get caught up on a lot of the nerd stuff that I've been uh, missing uh, because of work the last year. Or so, like uh, in the last week, I've uh, finished the uh, the new season of Stranger Things. Mm-hmm. Uh, watched the new Doctor Strange movie and uh, read, read a couple books. I was going to say I've I've gotten some time to catch up on some things. Have you guys seen this Game of Thrones show? There's a new one? No, sorry. Um, yeah. This this start this uh, Daenerys Daenerys. What's her name? Daenerys. She seems like she's going to be Daenerys. Thank you. I was like, is it Daenerys? Is it? Are you sure it's Daenerys? Is it not Daenerys? This Targaryen lady seems like she could be trouble. That's you know. Anyway, um, uh, yeah. Well, I I read I didn't I didn't have HBO when it was like at its like when it came out, so I only watched. 
I borrowed the first season on DVD. I watched it and, and, and I'd read like the novels. Sure. So like, I thought the first season was great, but I never just got around to catching up with like the second, third, fourth, whatever many seasons it ran. So it was just one of the things I just do remember one, one time I was, it was Sunday night and everybody on Facebook was like, was like it was just total OMG mode, and I was like, "Oh, they must have hit the red wedding by now." Yeah, red wedding. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I've seen about two episodes yeah. of that show. The first episode, and then that episode, the red wedding episode. So yeah. I know exactly. Yeah, that, that's really, that's really. Uh, it's, then, not watching then, anything else. That would be a really weird episode to jump in on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I don't care about any of these people, and they're all getting murdered. Okay. Yeah. Right, yeah. Cool. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It kind of uh, summed it all your, up for me. Yeah, right. What's your sunshine, uh, Mike? Yeah, you know, uh, we were kind of discussing it a little while ago. You know, it's same same as if before. If you do this, if you do just this kind of just kind of trudging along chasing bullshit, the dream, baby. Okay, that's fine. I was just if you do I, this I, bullshit, listen, my sunshine, I'm helping small business owners look, get rich thing. I'm, I, I don't I'm, even want to do that. <laughs> I'm chasing just, the dream. I'm disqualifying you. Chasing the dream every day. I'm getting closer and closer to the end of the rainbow. That's all I can say. Yeah. All right. All right. And right. uh, that's it. So I won't go into the details because you know how you get triggered and stuff. So yeah, no, I'm I'm trigger warning. Yeah, that's me. Um, I am passionate about uh, the flaws in our system. That's all. Yes, you are. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to take the easy way out and say it, it's my birthday. I made it around it the is. sun one more time. So that's uh, that's my sunshine. Um, the big four nine, and, uh, baby. The big four nine. She's a whiz. No, not yet. Good Lord, what? man. I'm younger than it's you. Not... I'm younger nah, than you. You're not younger than me. I'm younger than you. Are I you think really? I'm younger than I'm younger than both of you. No. What is uh, this? Yeah, because Larry, you're Larry, your birthday's uh, September, right? It was a, yeah, but I'm 47. Yeah, I'm, I'm. We're the same year. I'm just in November. Uh, you okay. just turned 48. So, 47. No, you just turned 47. 75, baby. <sighs> yeah. Wait a you're second. the old man on the. You're the old man on the sea. That's right. So I'll be, uh, I'll be, I'll be 49 in uh, January in two months. You are almost two full years older than me. I like to, yeah. I like that. Um, my other sunshine is that we signed Roquan Smith, which makes me happy. Anyway, all right. My so, 30, uh, also, my 30-year high school reunion is Friday or next Saturday. Have fun with that. I am. Uh, I don't intend to ever attend a reunion at my high school. Maybe. Uh, oh, me neither. Me neither. Maybe. Maybe my <laughs> maybe my seventy fifth if I'm still around, just to like see if anybody shows. You'll be like uh, the last guy. I can't. Yeah, I mean that would be the only. That would be the only possible way is to see if I'm like I can go in and be like, that's it. That's right. I won, motherfuckers. Um. <laughs> anyway, but I doubt that that's going to happen because because uh, I'm sure some of those guys are drinking adrenochrome. Anyway. Um. Or injecting it, or whatever you do with the with the baby's blood, or whatever I don't know, whatever that QAnon nonsense is. Anyway, all right. So this gives us a good positive starting point. Everybody's everybody's happy. So that just means that we have a bit farther to plunge into the depths of our diseased history. So, gentlemen, let's do some history. Hmm. I know we probably need a refresher. It's been uh, ages, it seems. So, hmm. in part two. Uh, we looked at the specific 1775-1776 smallpox outbreaks in besieged Boston and Virginia, specifically in Dunmore's Ethiopian Regiment, during that, uh, and then during the disastrous American invasion of Canada, which Larry turned out to be uh, to be knowledgeable of, which was a nice bonus. Um, we are halfway through our story, 
And Congress decided finally to declare independence from Great Britain in typical congressional fashion. They thought now is a good time to start the war since we've been fighting it for about a year. Um, they're like, uh, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll do it. We, we've, a year. we've lost enough. We've lost enough people at this, but yeah, I've been fighting for over a year. Well, we should go ahead. And de- we should go ahead and declare the war. Typically it's 20 years before we declare anything in you in wars these days. Yeah. We don't declare wars anymore because uh, then you have to have oversights. So that's a whole other thing. Yeah. Anyway, conflicts now. Just conflicts yeah, yeah, yeah. police war. actions or whatever. Um, anyway, uh, as a brief aside, I do want to acknowledge uh, just uh, for, for, in case anybody wasn't sure, uh, I am quite critical of the way that America's founding documents are treated with like religious significance. I think it's insane to kind of treat our documents as if they are um, sacrosanct. It drives me a little crazy. The kind of uh, unquestioned loyalty, the uh, the infallibility with which they are are treated, because they, like other all other political documents in the entire world should be under constant reevaluation and constant pressure from the people. And I think like we Americans are really bad at remembering that we're, we're really bad at remembering that Thomas Jefferson literally said, we need to revise this thing every 20 years. And I don't often like to quote Thomas Jefferson because, you know, again, one of history's greatest monsters, but still, well, maybe not greatest. He's certainly one of, one of history's monsters. Um, but that said, um, I want to say, regardless of my feelings of Jefferson, I do have great admiration for the final draft of the declaration of independence. I feel like it's a overall, it is a a very important document. One that I do have a lot of respect for. It is also a document that has no political power in our system. In case you know, don't realize that it is just a symbolic uh, piece of parchment, but that's okay. I don't think it's perfect, but I think it's quite inspiring and provides a, a good outline for thinking about human rights and has been used that way ever since. And, and there is something to be said for that. But I do want to point out one thing in Jefferson's draft of the declaration, the, the, the draft that he sent to the, it was like a committee of five in order to, to write the declaration. And he sent it to his, uh, his co-writers, John Adams and Ben Franklin uh, uh, and the others. And what he wrote, and I think this is fantastic. Uh, and I, by fantastic, I mean, well, you just listen. He wrote, quote, uh, talking about the king, quote, he has waged cruel war against human nature itself, violating its most sacred rights of life and liberty in the persons of a distant people who never offended him, captivating and carrying them into slavery in another hemisphere or to incur miserable death in their transportation thither. This piratical warfare, the opprobrium of infidel powers, is the warfare of the Christian king of Great Britain. Determined to keep open a market where men should be bought and sold, he has prostituted his negative for suppressing every legislative attempt to prohibit or restrain this execrable commerce. And that this assemblage of horrors might want no fact of distinguished die, he is now exciting those very people to rise in arms among us and to purchase that liberty of which he has deprived them by murdering the people on whom he has obtruded them, thus paying off former crimes committed against the liberties of one people with the crimes which he urges them to commit against the lives of another. So, end quote. So do you guys understand what he's saying do, there? Do, do we do we have a modern vernacular yeah, yeah, yeah. translation yeah, yeah. of what so, you just so yeah, but the language, to follow it. But the language, the language is really <laughs> great. Look, these British mofos are acting up, man. I don't know. No, no, no. <laughs> Thomas Jefferson. No, again, Thomas friggin Jefferson wrote in here that 
the king of England has waged this cruel war against human nature itself is he's saying he is the reason that we have slavery. That's the cruel war against human nature. Jefferson is acknowledging slavery as a war against human nature and that it violates the most sacred rights of life and liberty in these people who he says the king who never offended the king, capturing them, taking them in, into slavery, dragging them to another hemisphere where they either die on the way or they die once they're they, they're either you know enslaved or they die on in transport in in transit and then and then Jefferson argues that and he calls him the Christian king in order to to say like to point out his hypocrisy and he says he then like prostituted his negative means he vetoed so Jefferson is suggesting that the colonists had repeatedly tried to eliminate slavery but the king refused to allow it and then he says basically now the king is telling slaves to rise up against their uh, against their overlords and kill them and he's saying you know it's so unfair he's trying to tell our slaves to rise up and kill us but the crime was his all along we've tried to get rid of this but gee whiz we keep trying and they won't let us so none of that of course is true that part like i mean they they never really tried to get rid of slavery in any way but like he's trying to lay it all at the feet of the king um but he's talking about Dunmore's about Dunmore, like basically saying anybody that rises up and wants to fight on the side of the British will get their freedom. So he's like mad. He's big mad because he's in Virginia. He's like big mad. <laughs> he's like, look, the king is trying to get these people to kill us, even though we don't really want to have slaves. We've tried to get rid of them and he won't let us. Boo hoo. And this king has committed these cruelties against human mm. nature. But like. But at the same time, never mentions, you know, his own cruelties against human nature. Um, yeah, yeah. So, so that's what this is saying. It's all about slavery. So what you're, so what you're saying was, you know, Thomas Jefferson was the Herschel Walker of his day. That's, that is, well, he's the, he's the people that will, that will, uh, the people that say, I believe abortion is murder, but I'm willing to vote for this guy that paid people to be, to, to commit murder a couple of times. Because uh, I really, really believe it. He's, he's basically them. Um, yeah. Anyway, yes. Yeah, it's pretty bad. Um, and of course, not surprisingly, Ben Franklin uh, was like, um, yeah, we, we, we can't include, like, we can't. Uh, this, this doesn't, this doesn't work. Like, it's, <laughs> like, it's, it's uh, yeah. like, it takes what was a serious letter and turns it into a farce, Tom. Sorry. Uh, I just want to. I just want to know how how the king, how the king of like England uh, like sought to communicate with enslaved people over in this country because it wasn't like he just put it on his Twitter and everything. It's like 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 really like how did how did this information yeah, trickle yeah. down to to this to this uh, like you know here to, uh, before untapped uh, like uh, <laughs> soldier force that has already been subjugated by somebody else like that's closer way closer right. by and you know than uh the king of england well that's the whole like uh again that's why he's he's, he's basically blaming dunmore like so he's like okay so the royal governor of virginia has has done this so since he's the royal governor he's acting in the name of the king and so this was the king's idea you know what i mean so it's this like three degrees of separation from the royal governor who basically has authority to do pretty much whatever he wants and saying like ah the king did this but the part that really gets me is the whole like the the king, I mean, Jefferson is basically like, we never wanted slaves, but the king forced us to have them. And then, like, and so he, like, kidnapped these people against their will. True. Many died along the, on the way. True. 
And then he forced us to have them, even though we didn't want them. Um, less true. Uh, and then, and then we've tried to free them, but he won't let us completely like as like batshit crazy untrue. And then like, and then, you know, he's mad because they're, then they're like fighting for their freedom. And that makes him even madder. Anyway, I just wanted to point that out because I have heard people argue that the founders knew slavery. Uh, like I've heard people argue that the founders knew slavery was immoral and that they hated it. But like, to me, uh, this whole thing reminds me of, uh, do you guys know that, like that meme from the show, the good place where it's like, um, where he's like, yeah, okay, but that's worse. You, you get how that's worse, right? Like you think it's awful, but you're doing it anyway. Like that's worse than being completely ignorant to the idea that it's awful. Like that's, it's what you're saying is, you know, the idea that the founders knew slavery was immoral and, but they hated it. Like, oh, gee whiz, we feel real bad about this, but what choice do we have? It's, or Mike to call you out. You say this all the time where you're like, well, but that's like, it was about labor and they needed labor and that was the system and sets the time. I don't think, go, yeah, but they I don't knew think that it was morality, a crime against humanity. I don't humanity. think morality had anything to do with it. And I don't think they thought it was immoral. I don't think anyone thought it was immoral. That's why there was a slave trade that was going on. Yeah, yeah, no, no. I just think, but hold but on. I think that maybe what, maybe morality started to bleed into it for, at a certain point. Yeah. There were people opposed to it from the very beginning. And, and uh, I'm sure there were. And so there, were, mass, there were people. If you look at, if you, you know, millions and millions and millions and millions of people. Yes, there were. It was, but it was for the, the majority were not. Mm. Otherwise it wouldn't have happened. Right. For the first, I think no, the that's majority, not true. For the, no, I, that's not true. For the first couple hundred years, I, I don't, people referred to it I as, people referred to it as, as uh, an evil, but a necessary one. So they knew that what they were doing was evil. Literally, the word they used was evil. It was a necessary evil, though, which, again, brings me back to uh, the labor, brings me back to the meme. But that's worse. You see how that's worse. Yes. Yeah. So sure. it's actually so what I just want to point out, they're even yeah. wor- they're even worse than the people who criticize them. Like sort of, you know, it's even worse than that. Yes. Okay. Yes. I'm off my high horse on the on that issue, but I just wanted to bring. Yes. You've brought this up a couple times with me, Mike, and I'm like, I knew this was coming. I've been biting my tongue until we could get here, so I could point this out, just so that I could save it nice and fresh for this moment. So, anyway. That's wonderful. Not not to suggest that you're disagree with you. Not to suggest. Well, you're wrong. By February 1777, George Washington reversed course on inoculating the army. He um made the operations mandatory for all recruits. Also, by 1777, several things had changed. Um, gone was the idealism that drove volunteers to join the army in 1775 and 76. Gone, too, were the short-term enlistments. Um, like, we remember in the beginning, we talked about, like, guys who would sort of go and they'd be back home in a month and all this stuff. All that was gone. Um, in the intervening year between 76 and 77, the Continental Army became... Like most armies, a poor man's army. Landless and jobless men joined up for cash bounties because they were desperate, and they were occasionally promised land in exchange for service. Uh, land that George Washington conned them out of oftentimes. Many were hired substitutes, paid by the wealthy to fight on their behalf. Um, additionally, short contracts were no longer available. So you could no longer just sign up for like a battle or whatever. You had to sign up for one year uh, if you were really lucky, but most people signed up for three years or the duration, whatever that meant. So these things led to a professionalization of the army, professionalization having nothing to do with skill per se, but having to do, I mean, maybe eventually, but professionalization meaning this is what you were doing for your profession, right? Like, so you you weren't like, I'm going to come fight while the 
while the war is is in the nearby town, and then I'm going to go back and tend my crops, right? And then I'll I'll go the next time they're they're nearby, but uh, but you know rather like this is I'm this is where I am for the next three years or whatever. Soldiers, an officer, huh? Like an officer, not like an officer. These were no, not like officers. Enrolled, enrolled people. Officer, yeah, like enlisted men. Officers are enlisted, uh, exclusively. Enlisted, officers enlisted. are exclusively rich people. Uh, not unlike today, where officers are almost always uh, rich. Uh, rich being a relative term, but uh, you know, middle class, uh, secure people who end up as officers. Uh, it's you know, we have a, we do today same thing today. It's a we have a poor man's army. Anyway, soldiers sign contract with the government, exchanging their labor for food, clothing, shelter, wages, and often some kind of cash bounty. And this, again, this is op- uh, opposed to like that. Uh, you remember that guy, John Patton, who died in Quebec? Like his experiences are a good example to like, uh, to, to show the opposite of this, the way it was in the very beginning, where he was back and forth, back and forth. Anyway, as contract laborers, uh, these men often came in conflict with their employer and demanded redress. So in August 1777, for example, the 9th North Carolina Regiment refused their orders to march to Virginia until they received wages that were back owed to them. The work stoppage was successful. Like they refused to go. Threats of violence against them didn't work. And so finally, the men marched to Virginia on September 1st with their pay in hand. So basically, the, the first instance of uh, no snow, no show. Huh? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So once they arrived in Alexandria, members of this 9th North Carolina were required to bear their arms to a Dr. Rickman and his staff for the mandatory inoculation that had been ordered by Washington. Members of the 9th were joined by Virginia's 15th, and Dr. Rickman performed the surgeries, and it did not go well. Soldiers complained that they had been, that they were neglected and ignored while they were uh, sick. Remember, when you're inoculated, like, you go through the disease, like, mm-hmm. it just is a milder version. So, um, you can still die, and, and many would still would. So, uh, soldiers reported that they, quote, never once saw Dr. Rickman in the barracks where his men were sick, <laughs> and that they, received, quote, very little care and attention paid to them, end quote. Colonel John Williams accused Rickman of, quote, great neglect and mismanagement, end quote. Even worse, Rickman's assistants, who were, quote, negligent and cruel, end quote. Okay. Soldiers tried to care for one another while at various stages of the illness, uh, but many of them were too weak to be much help. Um, You know, like you got the sick helping the sick. In one rundown Alexandria house, Three so- soldiers were left shivering on pallets of straw. Two of the men had some tattered old clothes, and the third had only a shirt and half an old blanket to keep the autumn chill sort of uh, at bay. So starving, weak, riddled with smallpox, Colonel John Williams was appalled at their condition when he found them, and he sent for Dr. Rickman to come immediately. Mm-hmm. When the good doctor couldn't be he found, was at the, his assistant... He was with his harem. Yeah, go ahead. He was with his harem. Harem of women yeah. at his lush plaza. Well, you recall uh, inoculation was expensive. Doctors charged a lot yes. of money. And this is a government contract, right? You get to charge the government even <laughs> more than uh, you probably would regular people, right? It's a beautiful thing. Uh, eruption. <laughs> um, anyway, so they found his, his assistant, uh, Mr. Parker, he was called, and he also refused to come help the men until uh, Colonel Williams sent soldiers and like, they were like, you bring him uh, like at the point of a bayonet, like. And so they 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 marched him to the house, you know, uh, with guns at his back. He's like, oh, I'm going, I'm going. In know. his robe. In his robe. He, he was like, just out of his hot tub. Like, come on. Yeah. Champ, champagne in hand. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
a punch, right? <laughs> Champagne in one hand, like a little cracker, cracker with caviar on the other. And he's like, fine, fine, fine. Cigarette in a cigarette holder. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Smoking jacket, you know, just the whole thing. Just, 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 just blowing cigarette smoke <laughs> in your face while he's asking you why you're shivering. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, wearing, wearing like a full sable, like to his ankles coat, you know, like, I don't understand why these guys are cold. Um, <laughs> it's like, it's like pissing here. Do something. About this. <laughs> this place, this place is disgusting. I'm out of here. Um, so when he arrived and, and saw, you know, remember one man has only a shirt, which means no pants and a half of, and a half a blanket. Like that's all. Man For God's has. sake, Johnson, put a pants, put your pants on. Did you put a towel on? I mean, it's, it's like, why does the man, how did he lose his pants? I mean, there are questions that are unanswered in this report. Uh, but okay. Like, I mean, did this guy just like show up? He's marched from North Carolina to Virginia and he's like, they're like, don't worry. We'll get you. A pay. Like I got my pay. He's carrying it in his hand the whole time. So he has no pockets, but you know, he gets there and he's like, I'm going to get pants once I get there. Anyway, when the, the, the assistant Parker arrived, he, and there's two accounts. So I'm not sure which one he either denied knowing the men were, were in such bad condition, or he said there'd been no official report. So he hadn't assisted them because there was like no record. So either way, the three men of the, uh, the North Carolina ninth regiment died. Two of them died that very night and one died a couple days later. So how did these men get so neglected? Um, it's hard to know for sure. But uh, Rickman's neglect seems to have played a role, right? But also, it's important to note, inoculees were just, like, put up into houses or tents kind of willy-nilly. Like, there was no military planning or record-keeping, uh, generally. Um, or nursing. Yeah, no, like it was It was just really uh, kind of, you know, uh, really, uh, to, to Mike, you might recognize, it's really slipshod. <laughs> um, so, okay, the... Uh, the Continental Army continued to have like discipline problems, at least until Baron Friedrich von Steuben uh, joined Washington's force in December of 1777 and began teaching the troops sort of uh, Prussian military drilling and how to set up camp. I mean, and when I say how to set up camp, like these guys didn't know how to like to dig a latrine so that everyone wouldn't get cholera. So um, like they didn't they really they just had no basic understandings, uh, generally speaking. I mean, there were some experienced men like. Washington kind of knew stuff, but like if you weren't literally in Washington's camp, uh, you know, people would just like dig latrines right next to the tents. And it's like, that is a bad place for uh, everyone's poop to be. Hmm. Um, you know, you, you like, there's a, there's a method for setting a camp anyway. So Steuben taught the men how to locate kitchens and latrines on opposite sides of the camps. For example, like it's good if your kitchen and your latrine are as far away from each other as possible. Um, he taught them how to dig latrines uh, on downhills. So, you know, this makes a lot of sense. Um, as we all know, shit runs downhill. <laughs> uh, he organized tents and quarters with officers and enlisted men in rows in order to encourage supervision and like rank divisions. Again, these all seem like basic ideas that nobody knew how to do and no one did. He also started requiring strict inventories and strict record keeping uh, regarding supplies, which really, really pissed off all the quartermasters who were kind of grifting the hell out of the army and they're like wait we have to keep records now like we hate this guy we would very much like him gone um anyway uh he ultimately managed to save something like uh 8000 muskets uh just just alone once his rules were first implemented and they started keeping records they were like 
suddenly we have all these extra muskets that had, had recent, like, you know, that previously had been disappearing and stuff. Um, anyway. And, 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 and that's how the, the, the small business called Sunny Surplus uh, started. Uh, yeah. And they literally are still selling the same, the same, uh, grift, the same <laughs> stuff yeah. from that grift. Uh, what, the Army Navy surplus store invented on this day. Once, yeah. <laughs> once his rules were implemented army wide, um, he would drill the men. I'm sorry. He did. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Sorry. He would drill the men every day, which was something that again, the army didn't do. They didn't drill every day. Uh, so it had not, not been done anywhere. Now the men loved him because he like, he used to swear a lot. Now he didn't speak English. So, but he would swear a lot in like different languages because he's like a, he's a baron. I mean, he's a, he's a Prussian baron. I mean, I mean, when you learn a new language, what's the first thing you learn? You learn to swear words. Yep. So the men loved it though. Cause like, you know, the guy is like, uh, you know, swearing in German, you know, he's like German swears and then he swears in French for a little bit and, you know, Lord knows what else. So, um, so they all loved him. And the generals, I mean, the officers generally loved him too. Um, he was pretty popular, at least certainly initially. His guy, he wrote a guide for military regulations, which was uh, affectionately became known as the Army Blue Book. And the United States Army used his guide until the Mexican-American War. And then they continue to use his book as the model for like military regulations to this day. Like, I mean, obviously some of the details have changed, but like they continue to use like the book he wrote as like the, the, the as a guide. Like no one had a copy of Sun Tzu's Art of War lying around. No, they, they couldn't. <laughs> okay. They couldn't read. They kept trying to read left to right. And they were like, ah, it doesn't okay. make any sense. Right. Um, <laughs> and then they got tattoos of like those characters yeah. from left to right. And they're like, all right, now, now we're cool. All right. So he was a Prussian gentleman and, uh, and he used to throw like these absolute ragers of parties there at the, uh, at the, when he was like at camp, he, again, he's a baron. He's a gentleman. Is, is, it, is this after people like got better from the inoculations? Yes. And no. Um, I mean, okay. when I say he threw mm-hmm. absolute ragers, we're talking about parties for the officers for one thing. So yes, okay. Okay, I mean, cool. generally these are not super spreader events, but I just want to point out, he threw all these, like, like, I mean, really these insane parties that would just like go on all night and, nice. and everybody loved uh, them. So, but I have to say though, there yeah, was one weird, yeah, okay. good. So basically you're, you're, you're partying up on the hill and, and downhill, like basically, you know, you've got soldiers sick and dying in puddles of their own feces and piss. You know, because nobody's really naked from the waist down because nobody's really set in your urges to check on them. Well, it's funny you mentioned naked from the waist down because Baron von Stubing had one rule about all his, at his parties. No pants. No pants allowed. So they <laughs> yeah, were just. I love that rule. Free hanging dong parties at the camps. Look at um, this. Unbelievable. Oh, we, well, we, we all know what that means. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> did you? Do you, you have a comment, Mike? Something to like? Read? Nope. I was biting my tongue there. Go ahead. <laughs> no, hey, no. My, I, I, sounds I, like one of my I, when I read about my Greeks and back in the day. This same, same. We go down the same trail every time. Uh, there's, there's still like I, I know some celebrities that have been known to throw some parties where it's like you know at a certain time in the evening, like eleven o'clock midnight, whatever time it is. It's like the rule is either get naked or get out. <laughs> Yeah, I mean that's mm-hmm. that's about what it felt like, uh, I would imagine. Because yeah. uh, and like I said, everybody loved him. I'm uh, I got to pick up the pace here. I, I'm uh, I just all of a sudden I'm looking. Yeah, yeah. yeah. okay. Because because I, I I have no idea how smallpox is going to like you know 
uh, uh, like surface in this third act that you're uh, talking about. I like but, this guy. Uh, yeah. Well, I hope he doesn't get it. Yeah, yeah. No, he doesn't. He doesn't. So, uh, by, by 1777, continental forces were increasingly made up of foreign, of foreign born forces. Um, we, like, increasingly were just like, using immigrants to fight, uh, which tended to reduce the overall vulnerability of the army, uh, to the virus, obviously, because most of our immigrants are coming from Europe at that point. And in Europe, smallpox had been endemic for, in fact, for much of the world outside the Americas, smallpox had been endemic. So foreign-born troops were more likely to have immunity. But, okay, in 1776, Washington's mostly American-born army was pushed out of New York and New Jersey, across the Delaware River into Pennsylvania. And then, of course, on December 26th, famously, and on January 3rd, 1777, Continental Forces managed a couple of minor but psychologically important victories in Trenton and Princeton. Watch, um, a number of the men whose enlistments were set to end on January 31st re-enlisted, and the men set up winter camp at Morristown, New Jersey, where smallpox would again rear its kind of ugly head um, and uh, and devastate the army. Anyway, so I know we're moving a little bit back and forward in time, but uh, but bear with me. Morristown was along the road from Philadelphia to New York, and so it was a tactical location for Washington's winter camp. But that made it vulnerable to the traffic between the colonies, right? People moving from Philly to New York. And Philly was the, uh, the, at the time, sort of the capital of the, the colonies during the war. So, although that capital moved a bit, but that's near here there. Philadelphia was probably the only place in America where smallpox actually had been kind of endemic. There had been like near constant outbreaks since the 1750s, in part because inoculation was readily, readily available in Pennsylvania and Philadelphia specifically. And so there were just like constantly people getting inoculated, which then spread the disease to people who weren't. Um, so it was just, it became an endemic and people from Philadelphia then tended to be more likely to have immunity. The famous American doctors, uh, guys, uh, like, um, Jim Morgan, who founded the University of Pennsylvania Medical College and the founding father, Benjamin Rush, uh, both performed inoculations in Philadelphia. And Benjamin Franklin actually was an early advocate of, of inoculation and he, uh, his four-year-old son died uh, in 1736 from smallpox. And Franklin actually founded a society to inoculate poor children because he sort of writes about how, like, the problem is the rich people can get inoculated, but poor people can't. So then they get it and have no recourse. So he started a society and took a bunch of, do- of donations to help inoculate a bunch of children. And he managed to inoculate 20 of them. And that was the end of that. So good job, Ben. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, ooh, charity. Um, this made Philadelphia an especially dangerous place for people who were vulnerable to smallpox, but uh, didn't prevent it from becoming the capital, of course. Uh, anyway, the threat of smallpox in Philly was so serious, doctors agreed to stop inoculations when the first Continental Congress met in 1774, though it seems that they didn't uh, end inoculations during the second Continental Congress. So the chairman of Congress's powerful um, Committee of Secret Correspondence, who was a Rhode Island delegate named Samuel Ward, he contracted and died from smallpox uh, in 1776. Other delegates were inoculated when they arrived from other colonies as soon as, you know, as soon as they got to Philadelphia. Like Patrick Henry was inoculated by the aforementioned Benjamin Rush. And Matthew Thornton and another delegate from New Hampshire were inoculated by some unnamed doctor, as was Samuel Huntington from Connecticut and many others who didn't leave any written accounts, but we sort of know they were. Philadelphia became um, sort of a, a hub of um, of an I'm sorry, a hub of infection for continentals. So they would, I mean, the place basically sent disease out from its borders out into the hinterlands. In January 1776, uh, the Continental Fleet under Com- Commodore Isaac Hopkins, who was relieved of duty, by the way, in 1778 for committing torture 
against captured Brit- British officers, but was the only commander in chief of the uh, the Continental, the only commander in chief that the Continental Navy has ever had. Uh, anyway, he began a slow slog from Philadelphia down the icy Delaware River. When they finally reached the sea on February 17th, smallpox was rampant on his ships. He wrote, quote, we had many sick and four of the vessels had a large number on board with the smallpox, end quote. Hopkins uh, sort of disregarded his orders to uh, to fight in the Chesapeake against the British. And instead, he went down to the Bahamas and took the British fort in Nassau, which, I mean, you know, you could say, well, good for him. He took the British fort. But it's also like, well, they want us to fight here in the Chesapeake. How do you guys feel about the Bahamas? <laughs> um, <I like laughs> it's that. winter. Uh, let's go to Nassau and see what that's like. That sounds like that sounds like a dereliction of duty almost. It's like, uh, like, hey, I need to take this fort. Nah, I'm gonna go Bahamas and take another fort that you that you didn't tell me to take. Yeah, it's part of why he, uh, he ended up being relieved mm. of duty. Um, but the taking that fort in Nassau in the Bahamas was the first American amphibious landing by Ooh. Marines. Um, ma- Marine, buddy, who gets off of a ship and then goes on land and fights. So. You know, it wasn't like the Marines like to claim this, but I'm like, there was no Marine Corps or anything sure. like that. Anyway, um, records don't really say whether the men spread the pox to the Bahamas, but there were a number of really sick men when they made landfall on March 3rd. So you have to assume they did. Records show that Philadelphia um, smallpox arrived in South Carolina by April 1776. And by August, President John Hancock was advising troops from Virginia to march around Philadelphia in order to get to their New Jersey posts instead of marching through Philly. So because of the smallpox. So six months later, in February 1777, different Virginia troops received the same orders, right, to go around Philadelphia. This is especially important to note because nothing spread smallpox into communities far and wide more effectively than, like, soldiers marching from place to place. Um, like, they were the best at spreading the disease. Or prostitutes. Smallpox all... Yeah, no, soldiers were the best at spreading smallpox. Prostitutes are better at spreading other stuff. Smallpox also hurt the war effort in kind of a different predictable way of recruitment. The Connecticut governor, John Trumbull, wrote to George Washington on July 4th, 1776, quote, fear of infection operates strongly to prevent soldiers from engaging in the service, end quote. Before going on to complain about slow recruitment, um, you know, for the rest of his letter. In New York in 1776, uh, Major General Schuyler complained that New England militiamen were especially nervous about the pox because it killed so many of them. In February 1777, uh, Edmund Pendleton, a politician from Virginia, worried that smallpox would, quote, much retard our enlistments, end quote. Uh, much, a month later, Patrick Henry complained, quote, the terrors of the smallpox added to the lies of deserters, et cetera, et cetera, and deter but too many, end quote. By April, even George Washington had to admit, quote, the apprehensions of the smallpox and its calamitous consequences greatly retarded the enlistments from Virginia. End quote. Many among Virginia's aristocracy were already inoculated because they were rich and could afford to sort of skirt the restrictions in place in Virginia. So as such, many of them failed to really empathize with the concerns of regular citizens and imagine that their concerns were exaggerated. Uh, I know that's surprising because rich people usually empathize so well with poor people. Richard Henry Lee wrote, quote, some evil people, some evil disposed people industriously propagated rumors that the plague rages in our army, in consequence of which the recruiting business stops and desertions are frequent, end quote. 
And there you go. There's business, Mike. Mm-hmm. Uh, the business of recruiting. Damn right. Smallpox, smallpox, in addition to other issues, led by 1778 to a great deal of popular resentment of military conscription in Virginia. Violence broke out among troops numerous times as citizens resisted a draft, refused to bow to other pressures to serve. Uh, George Washington's younger brother, John Augustine, summarized the violence and the poor recruitment as follows, quote, whether it proceeds from the fear of the smallpox and those other dangerous disorder disorders which prevail in the camp, or whether it is from disaffection to the cause, I cannot determine. But in all yeah. probability, partly to all three, end quote. So, I would I would imagine like, you know, army recruitment posters there were just like not really doing the, you know, like, you know, it's like, hey, you know, join the army, see New Jersey, lose your pants, get smallpox. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Yeah. And then they're like, I don't understand why this isn't yeah, working. Yeah. Did no, you put smallpox in little letters? Yeah. I'll just, I'll just go, I'll just go work at this. That gets in fine print. Yeah. I'll go fishmonger for a bit. Yeah. Um, I'd rather come home reeking of fish every night. Than, oh, uh, God. Than, yeah. 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 Uh, many men also resented the disciplinary actions that they faced if they were inoculated. When, if in the last story, if you remember when Seth Warner, that guy from Vermont, like basically blindfolded his men and had him go into a tent to get inoculated so they couldn't rat out the guy that was giving him the shot. Um, well, when he had his pay docked because his men were inoculated and like the, the higher ups knew that his men were inoculated because they were all sick at the same time, but like nobody could say who did it. So they basically just took the, the officer in charge and were like, well, obviously you must have known they, they docked his pay. Um, and that was in Quebec and his men all balked. And like for a while, we're like, we refuse to fight until you reinstate his pay. Um, even the Connecticut delegate, William Williams argued against docking his pay. Cause they said they, he thought that treating him with, uh, what he called impolitic severity politicians uh, would cause more harm than good. And it did. And so they were like, Oh, our bad. Um, but nothing scared American soldiers more than the possibility of biological warfare. And there was precedent for this. So, during Pontiac's revolt, um, indigenous allies led by the Ottawa Port, uh, War Chief Pontiac threatened Fort Pitt, leading Sir Geoffrey Amherst, the commander-in-chief of British forces, to sanction one of the most grievous acts of war in the modern era. Mm-hmm. According to William Trent, a trader at Fort Pitt, out of regard to them, meaning indigenous people, we gave them two blankets and oh, a handkerchief uh-oh. out of the smallpox hospital. I hope it will have the desired effect. And Amherst himself provided written advice a month later, writing to another officer, quote, you will do well to try and inoculate the Indians by means of blankets, as well as to try every other method that can serve to extirpate this execrable race. So basically he's calling for genocide, Mm -hmm. excuse me, a genocide there. It bears mentioning that this happened as a result of American colonists breaking the law and moving beyond the proclamation line of 1763, which forbid American colonists from moving beyond the proclamation line of 1763, uh, west of the Appalachians. So because Americans broke the law and went across there, the British ended up going out there. Uh, but uh, Pontiac was uh, in rebellion against the, Brit- you know, against the British and Americans at the same time because Americans broke the law and their, their, uh, their reward was to uh, get smallpox blankets. Anyway, the point is here that Americans had good reason to imagine the British might do such a thing to them, and perhaps they did. Writing just after General Thomas Gage's forces confronted Americans at Lexington and Concord, a Patriot officer named Seth Seth Pomeroy 
uh, who served under um, under Gage in the French and Indian War, wrote, quote, if it is in General Gage's power, I expect he will send smallpox into the army, end quote. <laughs> After Sir William Howe took command in Boston from Gage during the Continental Siege, he forced some selected residents to leave Boston. On December 3rd, four British deserters revealed that Howe had deliberately infected some of the exiles with, quote, with a design to spread the smallpox among the troops. Mm. By December 10th, George Washington received reports that the pox had broken out in Point Shirley at Malden. And even worse, uh, the outbreaks could be traced to some among the first families that had been forced out by Howe in Boston. Washington wrote, quote, should it spread, it would be very disastrous and fatal to our army and the country around it, end quote. Later on, a young man named Thomas Francis swore under oath that he was ordered to be inoculated and then forced to board a ship out of Boston, the implication obviously being that he was sent aboard the ship to spread the disease. Mm -hmm. Washington described the disease as, quote, a weapon of defense they are using against us, end quote. In Quebec as, as well, rumors swirled. Though less hard evidence exists, uh, Continental Rifleman John Joseph Henry wrote, the smallpox was in, introduced by the indecorous uh, yet fascinating arts of the enemy, uh, end quote. Several witnesses testified before Congress um, that, accusing the British command of Quebec of intentionally spreading the disease. Captain Hector McNeil swore, quote, the smallpox was sent out of Quebec by Carleton, who's the commander in charge. Uh, that is the same General Carleton who was so moved by pity at the sight of the suffering American soldiers who had been left behind at Quebec that he had them well cared for. So that's sort of an interesting thing. Mm -hmm. uh, the various testimony convinced Thomas Jefferson, who wrote to Francois Soule, I have been informed by officers who were on the spot and whom I believe that this disorder was sent out into our army designedly by the commanding officer in Quebec. So uh, anyway, the accusation even persisted in Virginia when Dunmore's troops fled uh, Tucker's Point for Gwynn's Island because so many of the Ethiopian regiment troops were infected. Uh, a local newspaper reported, quote, his lordship before the departure of the fleet had two of those wretches inoculated and sent ashore in order to spread the infection, end quote. And the story came from James Cunningham, who was a deserter from among Dunmore's troops. Rumors circulated in, yeah, as you say, anybody want to, you know, <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I'm just saying that, like, yeah, like, I'm, I'm pretty sure, like, you know, like, I took once, I took once, took a science fiction class, and somebody said, like, you know, you know, they, the, they probably haven't invented time travel because, you know, like, we haven't seen any time travelers yet. But I was like, yeah, but you know what? Hearing this, I'm guessing the first time travelers are going to catch smallpox and die before they make it back to their present day. So, <laughs> right, 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 right. Like, ooh, look, the Revolutionary War. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's it's bad. It's bad. Yeah, I uh, I, I am uh, I I'm just going to go on record and say that you know, in certainly since World War II, there has no been no greater force for evil on the planet than the than the Americans. However, uh, the greatest evil that the world has ever seen, as far as I can tell, were the British. So, uh, so so for for the horrors that so, Americans have So you have, didn't, have you didn't send a sympathy card for the Queen's funeral? No, you didn't. <laughs> yeah, I did. I did <laughs> no, not. he did not. I, he raged I did about not. That I woman. I did. I cel I celebrated the death of the old bat. <laughs> the old bat. Um, I uh, I I hope she's. Uh, I I hope that uh, Madeline Albright greeted her in hell, and they both went to torture Don Rumsfeld. Um, <laughs> Anyway, uh, 
I just I just can't wait until Henry Kissinger gets to join them. <laughs> uh, anyway, <laughs> I, I'm sorry to digress real quick. I follow uh, this one uh, account on Twitter that is essentially uh, it's just called like is Henry Kissinger still alive? And just every day is just like 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 so. It's amazing that he yes. is. It's like, amazing that he is. Every, every day the guy's just like inexplicably yes. What? I thought you'd have been the first person in line to quit Twitter. Uh, what? What? Because of Elon Musk? No, no, because of Winnie the Pooh. What do you like? <laughs> no, no, I, you know, I, uh, it's, it's, it's fine for now. <laughs> it's fine for now. We'll see. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah, influx, influx of racist. Yeah, well, whatever. It's just, it's... I, I mean, no, I mean, it's yeah, I mean, it's uh it's well. What was really funny was Musk sent out that uh, that message. It was like, uh. Hey, advertisers, um, you know, look, don't worry. We're not going to do like free speech absolutism. I don't want this place to become like a, a, a haven of hatred and, and, you know, like disrespect and everything else. Cause like he knows, like as soon as he, he lets down the, the gates that, you know, the, the Mongol hordes will flood the place and the advertisers will flee. And Twitter already has no way of making money. So like he's, he knows he's going to bleed money. So it's just like to try and stop the bleeding, at least initially. He's like, Oh, no, no, no. We'll, we'll, uh, yeah, sorry, all, all that was just all talk. Uh, anyway, it's like the tweet that he uh, put out about um, Paul Pelosi's gay lover and all that, and then like immediately deleted it because he was like, oh, he, he okay, should he's... know by now that that doesn't get deleted. Well, yeah, but he, yeah, I, of course. Like, but, even even he should know, like, hey, yeah, yeah, yeah. Might as well just leave this one up. Might as well leave it up. Yeah. Anyway, so rumors circulated in New England in 1776 and then faded uh, until about April of 1777 when they kind of flared up again around uh, an alleged, quote, Tory plan involving great numbers of people, just to be very vague, end quote. Or not the not to be very vague, end quote, to be very vague. Uh, that these people were sworn to secrecy in New Hampshire. Uh, congressional delegates Josiah Bartlett and William Whipple even discussed the plot um, about the British sending smallpox into New England. And smallpox did break out in 1777 and 78 in New Hampshire and present-day Vermont, still New York then. Among the victims was an 11-year-old, uh, Joseph Allen, who was the son of the famed Green Mountain Boy leader, Ethan Allen, who wrote, quote, oh, or t- I love his furniture. This is a, yeah, this is a great quote. He, he wrote, uh, quote, mortality has frustrated my fond hopes, and with him my name expires, my only son, the darling of my soul, expressing the anguish felt by many people whose loved ones were ravaged by the pestilence. Um, when his son died. May my no. may my couches live on. Yes, that's what he said. I will name I will name all my furniture after myself in the hopes that people <laughs> will one day possibly look him up on Wikipedia and find out that I had a son. So all of this sets the stage for Washington in Morristown, New Jersey, in January 1777. Fresh off his victories at Trenton and Princeton, on January 6th, smallpox once again appeared among the Continental forces. We don't have precise numbers, but estimates suggest that. Um, less than one fourth of continental troops were immune by spring of 1777. So inoculation would be a massive undertaking, uh, logistically, let alone, um, you know, uh, let alone in terms of troop red- readiness, right? It's going to be a massive logistical problem, not to mention all the guys that would be sick. So on January 6th, Washington ordered Dr. Shippen to inoculate all soldiers in Philadelphia. A few weeks later, on the 28th, Washington reversed course, ordering Shippen to stop inoculating everyone because they cannot have a change of clothes. And Washington worried the inoculees' <laughs> pestilent clothing would infect the army. So, like, they didn't have enough clothes oh, to go around. So he's like, oh, okay, st- stop. 
like they, they couldn't they couldn't send a truck full of Tide Pods or something. Like, yeah, they they could not. the The problem was like like you, it's amazing. It's amazing to me that like it's, you know the amount of slave labor we had in the country at that time. That like you know when it came to I don't know washing the the uh the, the uniforms of the of the six soldiers that they couldn't divert any of them or or like you know or at least like have some hospital staffs out there just to like you know to keep the soldiers i don't know healthy and not like just winnie the pooing it you know around the just donald duck you know just shirt sure. no pants walk around like sure, i'm sorry sure. yeah yes yeah, you know nothing's changed it's weird it's like we have the biggest army most powerful army in the world i was watching something about just recently, when we were in Iraq, the soldiers didn't have water. They didn't have a change of clothes. They didn't have the right armor. They were begging Rumsfeld. I saw something again. I remember this like 10, whatever it was, 20 years ago. When the soldier was begging Rumsfeld for armor for his vehicle so he can go into, into the town and do their job. And he made some stupid comment. Their job like, being to murder children. Like, anyway, go ahead. Yeah, well, you, and, and the clear. thing is, is like I've, I've done some shows in military towns. And, and, um, you know, and this, this is during like, you know, between like 2005 and 2010 and everything where it was like, you know, where, uh, you know, uh, Hussein was still on the loose and all that. And you would be talking to these soldiers after the show. And a lot of younger ones were just straight up pissed because, you know, like they would come home from like, you know, deployment or something like that. And they would watch the news and he'd be like, you know, dude, like what they're telling you is going on is like a completely different narrative than what we see actually going on once we get over there. And they're like, sure. they're straight up lying to you guys yep. left and right about like, you know, what's going down and why and, and stuff like that. So yeah. Yeah. You, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, in Halliburton, you know, Halliburton set up their uh, fancy green zone, but outside of that, it was, uh, you know, like uh, all the infrastructure structure had been destroyed. Um, yeah. which yeah. we, you know, we did, that was part of, uh, that was part of, uh, Bill Clinton's, uh, distraction campaign um you know because of uh lewinsky he's like well let's how many bombs can we drop on uh, iraq to distract uh-huh. from this nonsense and uh when madeline albright went on 60 minutes and was asked hey so it turns out american bombs have killed half a million iraqi children do you think that's justified and she said well you know there are hard things we have to decide but yeah i think that was justified and uh and that inspired a whole bunch of radicals who were like uh yeah these people are evil and need to die and then they started planning 9-11 because they were like yeah, yep. they said they you could justify killing a half a million children. Uh so like that that seems like they should die. Um yep. anyway, uh and what I my favorite part by the way, really quick since while Bill Clinton was trying to distract from uh from uh you know taking advantage of an intern um and and <laughs> the me too movement wasn't around. And Republicans uh Republicans decided to impeach him over that at the same time that Dennis Hastert, uh, the longest serving speaker of the house, a uh, Republican and uh and his buddy uh what was the guy mark warner uh from from where's Mark warner from might have been from florida were there uh impeaching clinton at the same time that it was a, a well-known secret among republicans that dennis hastert was uh was diddling like hundreds of boys and uh, so was mark warner that he was having having child uh male child prostitutes being smuggled into him kidnapped and smuggled to him and like the republicans knew this stuff while they were while they were impeaching clinton for for having a like taking advantage of an intern these two scumbags are like molesting boys like children you know underage boys and it was known anyway uh yeah uh that whole that's just the the 90s are just like just a uh oh my god just a shit stew of of shit 
I mean, that, uh, I don't, now, well, I don't well, have well, words. Here's, here's the thing, though. Like, you, you, you say, like, oh, the 90s was a shit still. Like, mm. I want to start, like, a like a yeah, podcast. Yeah, yeah. That's like, you look, look, your favorite decade sucked. Like, you know, everybody <laughs> likes to remember all the great things about their favorite decade. But really, if you look yeah. back close enough, you realize every decade that has ever, like, you know, come and gone has had something that sucks so horribly about it that we just block it out of the memory because, oh, look, Rubik's Cues, Atari 2600. <laughs> but you forget all the other crap, you know, mm. just, Right. That, you, well, that got yeah. swept under the rug, or you just you know, I love, because you were playing. I love the eighties. You were playing well, Pitfall, you know. Right. <laughs> right. Oh, well, Pitfall they, was the shit. Yeah. Come on. I mean, it's yeah. The thing about the <laughs> thing, the thing about the eighties. Uh, you know, you think about Reagan and all, and I mean, just like all the corruption and all the other nonsense. But like the one thing that gets me is like the lasting impact of of Reagan's uh, trickle down economics, so that even today. When people like politicians, like we've seen, like most people, if you say, do you think trickle down economics works? They're like, absolutely not. Like, of course it has not worked. But then when you say we need to, we need to cut those tax rates, we need to cut taxes on, on businesses and everything else. And it's like, that's trickle down economics. And people still try to promote this without, but they're like, oh, well, I'm against trickle down economics. I just think we need to cut taxes on, on businesses. And it's like, well, that's the same, that's the same thing. And it did. Well, I think there's a difference between. There's a difference, though, between cutting taxes from an enormously high rate of 32 percent, which is globally the highest, which cuts the ability to do really anything domestically. And those jobs are not coming back. I'm not going to talk. There's a middle ground. I'm not going to argue with you. They said the jobs aren't coming back. It's a lot. It's not going to. Are you trying trying to say that the United States has a higher tax rate? Uh, on 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 the rich than say a uh, a country like Britain corporate like like Britain corporate tax rate okay yeah, right like their their corporate tax rate uh, which was and I'm not sure exactly what it is now if it's lower than the last administration but it was at I believe 32 percent yeah no which Trump- to do real business globally you have to be around 11 in the teens somewhere at the highest. Yeah. The, we, we were completely out of the ballpark. Yeah. I mean, that's why that's, all the jobs went. Yeah. That's, that's why, now. that's why, that's why China has a higher tax rate than we do. And yet somehow uh, their economy has been booming. They're, they're worried. Not anymore. They're worried because it's only growing at like 4% or 4, 5% because Believe it's been me, growing they're in at big, 10. They're in big trouble. They're in massive trouble. right uh, now. I'm not worried about what trouble they're in because if they're in massive trouble, the world's in massive trouble. So, um, <laughs> I mean, they are. They, right. they make. They make everything. So. They are. You're right about that. The, back, the world isn't. Back, trouble, yeah. They are. Back they to the story. Also, oh. also, also, there are places in China that have like the the highest concentrations of cyber waste on the planet as well. Oh, yeah. Because you know, well, because because yep. we sent we sent we, we yeah we they for a long time took all of our our trash, thinking that right. they could sort it, and make you know, and, and reuse the stuff, and then and then they have since started to export that stuff to like. Bangladesh and to India and elsewhere and yeah, yeah it's a whole our trash is a whole thing too. At these, these are all episodes for other podcasts that I'm not prepared to talk about right mm-hmm. now because I'm I'm running <laughs> late. I'm running overtime. I told Larry we'd be done. Yeah, and I, I'm, I'm not. Yes, yeah, sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah, sorry. I, I'm I'm seriously contemplating just pouring a glass of water on my Wi-Fi router just to get out of this um, quickly. Awesome, but thank you. <laughs> right. I, I'm glad you're enjoying it. Thank you so much. <laughs> It's a real compliment, yeah, Mister. I if, 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 if you see sparks, if you see sparks flying off, the left, just know that, like you know, uh, the time is short. It's the best compliment we've had yet, Brian. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's it's, it's good stuff. <laughs> okay, good God. All right, so uh, 
No clothes. Pestilent clothing. Okay. February 5th, a week later, Washington again changed his mind about the inoculations. He wrote to President Hancock, which I like writing President Hancock because it sounds so weird, uh, informing him mm-hmm. that the inoculations would, in fact, proceed. Is that John? President John, John? Hancock. Yeah, John Hancock, a, uh, a pirate. Um, it would proceed writing, quote, I have therefore determined not only to inoculate all the troops now here, but I but shall order Doc Shippen to inoculate the recruits as fast as they come in. End quote. So thousands of soldiers received inoculation in 1777. And in Virginia, inoculations occurred at Dumfries, Fairfax, and Alexandria. In Maryland, at Georgetown. In New Jersey, at Morristown. In Pennsylvania, inoculations were set up at Philadelphia, Bethlehem, and Newtown. New York set up at Ticonderoga. still bad in those places to this day. As people are still waiting. Uh, And in New York, they set up at Ticonderoga and Hudson Highlands, which is near West Point. And by and large, the inoculations went well, other than in Virginia, where Dr. Rickman uh, and his staff were repeatedly accused of gross neglect, uh, especially after those three North Carolina soldiers died. Uh, Rickman's care seems to have been particularly suspect among all the doctors, um, so much so that the army investigated him. What was funny is in his investigation, he had he had friends, his allies who testified on his on his behalf. Um, But many accused him of what we would call malpractice today, like. So perhaps there was the scale of uh, inoculations that had an impact. One observer noted on a single day in May, 2,200 North Carolina soldiers were on, were like in line to be inoculated. Uh, near, nearby residents even complained, quote, they had never known any persons uh, have the smallpox so severely before they were inoculated. So, end quote. So like he kind of wasn't good at it either. So like he was doing too many of them. And apparently I guess he like maybe, maybe he was getting the, the, I don't know. He maybe he was just doing a really bad job, so leaving people. Or, or maybe he was double dipping needles. Maybe <laughs> they almost inevitably were doing I that got, already. I got three. I got three syringes, three hundred soldiers. Guess what? You know, it's yeah. Well, okay. God, see, I keep having to digress. When my dad was in the navy, um, he said, you know, they went through and they did the inoculations, and this was in the that was in the sixties, and he said, for real, they were like they just like went through with the with the shots, and they were like boom. Boom, boom, didn't change out the needle. He was like, uh, he's like, you, he's like, so like you looked at your place in line and you were just like, oh man, if you were at the end of the line, that needle was going to hurt <laughs> so bad because yeah, it just wasn't, I mean, wasn't sharp anymore. <laughs> been through 20 arms, well, you know, sharp anymore. Do you know how many like, you know, like, like iterations of like syphilis and, and uh-huh. God probably got? Yeah. And you, uh-huh. and you, and you, and you went home and you tried to tell your girl, no, no, they were inoculating us for 30 needles. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he now he he told me he's like I was third in line because uh, I guess they lined up alphabetically. Brady Hoff got him there pretty early, but uh, he could have been lying just to uh, you know I don't know I don't know uh, I, I don't know what other than the Playboy Bunny tattooed on his arm I don't know what else he came back to Vietnam with. <laughs> yeah. How do you spell your last name? A A A B R E Absidy A B C D. Yeah, the, the, the the first three A's were silent. Yeah yeah yeah. There you go. Um. Anyway, all right. So. Uh, yeah, so they did a lot of them. Um, Nicholas, uh, Creswell traveled through Alexandria in, in that April and he wrote, quote, such a pockeyed place I was never in before. And quote, <laughs> Lieutenant William Murray of North Carolina testified that he and several others were so desperate for care that they ended up hiring their own doctor and paid him out of their own pockets. Um, another lieutenant claimed that the doctor, quote, never came to see him after the surgery, end quote. The Continental with Army the, eventually, with the, the, the for, which is the formation of the, of the modern day HMO system. <laughs> yeah, no, you're not wrong. Yeah. Um, the, the Continental Army eventually uh, suspended him in the face of overwhelming evidence. 
But Alexandria was the outlier. Generally, this went smooth. Uh, Private Joseph Plum Martin, who is kind of a famous uh, soldier because he left a really uh, long, detailed diary. Anyway, he was inoculated with about 400 others from Connecticut at Hudson Highlands in summer of 1777. And he wrote, quote, we lost none. I had the smallpox favorably, as did the rest, end quote. And that was more the typical experience for the for those that were inoculated during this this uh, during this. So you might remember that in the winter of 77, 78, that was the famous Valley Forge winter um, memorialized mainly by like the, the bloody footprints around the camp that a lot of people remember, like because they were left by men with no boots, uh, no shoes, right? No socks, mm-hmm. whatever. Um, that fall, the Americans had seen mixed results in the war. Americans suffered devastating losses at Germantown and Brandywine, and General Howe had seized Philadelphia. But uh, Brandywine, incidentally, was where the uh, where an unranked Polish nobleman named Kazmir Pulaski brilliantly countered a British flanking maneuver long enough to allow retreat and prevented George Washington from getting captured, uh, if not killed. Pulaski was after that named a brigadier general and given command of the cavalry. Now, he's known as the father of the American cavalry. Now, this is kind of an incidental, but it's, I think, a fascinating story. Uh, incidentally, so the, the uh, five-foot, one-inch-tall Pulaski uh, his body had been missing for more than 200 years, but uh-huh. it was discovered under the Pulaski statue in Savannah, Georgia, in the 1990s. It, Not- this is yeah, this is the guy for Fort Pulaski is named after, and Pulaski Highway. Is named no after, way. and there are Pulaski. That, that, that is not that is not a fitting tribute. Uh, like, <laughs> I know it's a bad Woo! tribute. Oh my god! Um, just just Pulaski is fine, but yeah, the highway. It's a, it's a good thing adult bookstores aren't a thing anymore because uh, oh my god, imagine mm-hmm. being just that big. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it was uh, it was all strip clubs and adult bookstores back in the day. Uh, not to mention liquor stores and uh, well, you know, yeah, yeah, all well, all the all the things that that go hand in hand or hand yeah. in glove, yeah. Uh, anyway, they found his body under the statue in the 90s, and it created a new mystery because the body that was discovered had a female pelvis, but the rest of the bones were male. So in 2018, they were able to extract DNA from the pelvis and from the other bones, and they tested it, found that it was the same, that they were the same DNA. So it was the same person whose uh-huh. male leg bones and arm bones and female pelvis and they were able to actually trace it to Pulaski's relatives today and match the DNA. So they know that it was Pulaski. Um, so now they're like, it turns out that Casimir Pulaski was intersex. Um, you know, he had a female pelvis and male and, and male oh. extremity bones. So he was intersex, um, which I think is an interesting little side note. Anyway, uh, Continentals had scored an important victory in the New York campaign with the stunning victory at Saratoga, which was the victory that convinced the French to officially enter the war. Um, they officially recognized the new country of the United States in 1770, in February of 78. And a brief note about the Battle of Saratoga. General Benedict Arnold led a daring maneuver during the Battle of Freeman's Farm that inflicted um, really severe casualties on the British troops under John Burgoyne. But the Americans had to retreat anyway. Now, this was because Arnold had to spend hours trying to convince General Horatio Gates to follow Arnold's plan to attack the center column of advancing British troops. Gates didn't want to. He wanted to wait until the British came to him. And that was a plan that, in retrospect, we know would have been disastrous, probably would have destroyed the whole army. But Arnold wanted to sort of meet them out where they could then have a tactical advantage. And he he spent hours arguing with Gates before he finally convinced him. And um, so Arnold was correct. 
his men loved him because he had this daring, uh, this daring mm-hmm. attack. And it was, even though they had to retreat, they, they inflicted far more damage than they took. Um, and Gates kept most of his army back. That was the other part of this. Anyway, Arnold was correct. And when he got back to camp, um, all the men were celebrating Arnold and it made Gates pretty, pretty angry. He got all butthurt. And so his, um, so Arnold's reward for his daring was that Gates stripped him of his command and he took all the credit for himself, writing letters about how he led the victory at Saratoga. Uh, or I mean, sorry, how he, he managed to stop the British at Freeman's farm. Now, even though he had never even left the camp. So he took all the credit for the battle without ever leaving the camp. During the subsequent Battle of Saratoga, which took place several days later, a vastly superior American force defeated Burgoyne's sort of depleted troops, troops that were depleted because of Arnold's maneuvers. Mm-hmm. Arnold was ordered by, um, by Gates to remain in camp. Arnold, who was possibly drunk, in fact, probably drunk, rode out to the front lines anyway, um, once he knew the fighting had started. And General Gates actually dispatched another general to go and arrest him in the middle of the battle, which is fantastic. During one of the final volleys of the battle, Arnold's horse was shot out from under him. It fell and it shattered uh, Benedict Arnold's leg. So the battle, the, the American victory at Saratoga convinced France to enter the war and changed the dynamic entirely. But like, um, and once they did finally, they finally sent troops in their Navy, you know, uh, that would actually change the, the war. They wasted a perfectly good horse. They did. Gates seized upon all the glory from the Battle of Saratoga, never mentioning Arnold at all, and despite being like his, his leg now shattered, uh, which left him pretty bitter and left him injured and humiliated without a commission. He'd been stripped of his commission. So this was really where Arnold's, well, while he was recovering, this is when he decided to turn on, uh, on the American army because he had been so deeply screwed over uh, like I'd repeatedly Gates had repeatedly taken uh, credit for his successes. But um, anyway, so that's why Arnold uh, became a traitor because he'd been stripped of his command and humiliated and had his legs shattered and no thanks. And somebody else took credit for all of his, uh, his maneuvering. So anyway, uh, so there's that. He's a dirty traitor. Sure. So, uh, and Gates, you know, Gates was uh, part of the guy, was the guy that wanted to lead the coup against George Washington. Uh, anyway, Historians suggest that Gates used his fame to engage in this clandestine attempt uh, to try and uh, replace Washington. But um, anyway, he he uh, he was at the center of that whole thing. And eventually he got booted out himself. Back to Valley Forge. When Washington settled in for the winter there, he was surprised to learn that between 3000 and 4000 men there were vulnerable to smallpox. Uh, quote, notwithstanding the orders I had given last year to have all recruits inoculated. So he was pretty surprised, like he thought this was taken care of. Um so beginning in January, inoculations began at Valley Forge. This had a huge impact, obviously, on the conditions of camp. On March 28, 1778, Washington wrote that he could not spare a single regiment, which is about 725 officers uh, and soldiers. The total number of able-bodied, able-bodied troops declined from 14,122 in December to 8,095 in January and 7,316 in March. There were so many sick men in camp uh, that, you know, that they also reduced strength in another way. Those who were immune had to care for the people who were inoculated. Richard Henry Lee complained about the uh, inconsiderate officers who kept their immune troops at the uh, inoculation hospital serving, quote, as attendees upon those who are to undergo inoculation. In other words, end quote, sorry. In other words, Richard Henry Lee complained because officers who were immune were like, well, I'm going to stay and help my guys 
Like, get through this. And he's like, no, screw them. You need to be out here ready to fight. Mm-hmm. Richard, Richard Henry Lee is another piece of giant piece of shit. Um, anyway, in March, Washington again decided to change the policy. Now, rather than receiving inoculation before coming to camp, recruits would be sent to camps and then receive inoculation. So ostensibly to increase the number of immune men that were actually in the camps. That was the idea. In March of 78, Britain officially declared war on France, uh, as one might expect, and that forced them to change their wartime strategy. Uh, Sir Henry Clinton replaced Howe at the head of Britain's North American forces, and Clinton ordered troops to withdraw from Philadelphia and return to New York. By April, Clinton's plan, uh, Clinton had, uh, his planned move to New York uh, had become clear, and Washington had hoped to attack, the, to attack them on their march like through New Jersey. In May, as Washington's inoculation uh, continued, Continental forces increased to 15,000 men, but about 3,800 were incapacitated. Washington turned to a group called the Women of the Army to stay behind and provide nursing care for the men. So throughout the war, about 20,000 women served various auxiliary roles for the Army. And as the Army prepared to march, Washington turned to these women for help. Um, It's the first time they're really recognized in the war. He had his op- Washington had his officers recruit as many women, quote, I'm sorry, quote, as many women of the army as can be prevailed upon to serve as nurses, end quote. He offered them the usual price for pay. So, uh, so they were even paid. Perhaps, uh, he was trying to inspire volunteers. Washington also commanded that, quote, no women be suffered on any pretense to get into the wagons of the mar- army on the march, end quote. So, like, basically any of the women that wouldn't stay back and volunteer, he was like, well, you're not going to ride in the wagons. Uh, you, you have to bricks. walk the whole Hit way. The bricks, baby. He's like, so you can either you can stay behind and get paid to nurse, or you can march the whole way with the soldiers, no riding. They're like, oh, I guess we'll be nurses then. Um, Your choice. At the end of June, yeah, the end of June, Washington's army, freshly trained by Baron von Steuben Ooh. and smallpox free, engaged the British in the Battle of Monmouth, where the legendary Molly Pitcher took up her husband's gun after he fell, and she fought on. The battle was inconclusive, but for the first time since the war began, Washington did not have to fight the smallpox uh, virus along with the British in the northern theater. For the British, uh, once France got involved, their war would increasingly be fought in the Caribbean, the Mediterranean, the uh, Atlantic, and in Southeast Asia. Once France entered the war, it became a global conflict fought on every continent other than Antarctica. And from the French taking the British colony of Dominica in September 1778, the Spanish and Dutch entry in the war in 1779 and 1780, uh, respectively, and war with the Kingdom of Mysore in India, the British were increasingly stretched thin and forced to protect their more valuable interests elsewhere. The 13 American colonies were not that valuable relative to their other colonies. Incidentally, Hyder Ali, the sultan and the de facto uh, leader of the Mysore Kingdom, was celebrated in the American colonies as a fierce enemy of the British. In a surprise American naval victory in 1782 in the Battle of Delaware Bay, the American flagship commanded by Baltimore's own Joshua Barney was named the Hyder Ali in, uh, so after, after the king of uh, the Sultan in India. Muhammad Ali. After the Sultan, after the Sultan Hyder Ali. In that battle, Barney captured a much larger man of war called the General Monk. George Washington elevated Barney to the rank of Commodore and gave him the General Monk which was renamed the General Washington. Barney sailed to France with dispatches for, for Ben Franklin 
And then he returned on the General Washington, bringing news that peace was declared. So this ship, the ship that was the Hyder Ali, like took the General Monk, Washington gave the, the guy the, the General Monk, and then that guy was sent with, with uh, letters to Benjamin Franklin. And when he gets to France, he finds out that the British had said, like, we no longer want to fight the Americans because we're fighting the French all over the rest of the world. We'll, like, we're done with that part of the war. And so he's the same guy that brought back the news that peace had been made, which is, I don't know, I just find these, like, these wild coincidences kind of interesting. All right. Um, but gentlemen, that's just a bit of a trivia side story for you, because our story, Washington has only just tested his inoculated army for the first time at the Battle of Monmouth. Ooh. And we haven't even mentioned the name Cornwallis yet. I don't think. So with the critical phase of the war and the 13 colonies still to come in our tale, my friends, I think that is an episode of the outstanding podcast, Unbalanced Views of History. The first, the best, and I think the highest rated history podcast in America. Uh, don't look into that. It's not true. Don't worry. Yeah. It's on my vision board. I believe it. I'm manifesting it. Yeah, yeah. Don't, don't, don't like make a Benedict Arnold level enemy at another podcast just because we're taking credit for something they did. We are the only history podcast uh, in America. That's right. So, I, I don't. We don't have to fear any other podcast because there. No. Is this a history? Is this this is a history kind of uh, like podcast or a true crime podcast? Because it's a a history of true crime. Yeah, true true atrocities. True atrocities for sure. Although we did have a good true crime story. Yeah. Uh, Uh, So, gentlemen, any thoughts before we? Yeah, yeah, you did. You solved the the murder mystery by by declaring you knew who did it. The guy who obviously did it. But the mystery was what happened to it. Yeah. Sorry, Larry. We're doing inside baseball. I apologize. That's um, right. That's right. That's right. Okay. Sorry. Uh, yeah, that was that was Sorry. the last uh, the last story we did. This uh, murder mystery uh, that t- in uh, Chinatown in the tw- early the turn of the twentieth century, and like it's kind of obvious who the guy who committed the the murder, but like he disappears into thin air despite there being like a. A, a global dragnet trying to catch him. And like, that's the whole kind of mystery about the whole thing is like, you know, he never should like, they never find him. So anyway, uh, any thoughts on, uh, on our smallpox adventure so far? No. None, okay. none, really. none whatsoever. Smallpox sucks. I know that, but here, listen to here. This is what I'm thinking. This is what I'm thinking. George Washington has the troops. They got the thing behind them. They're ready to kick ass and take names. So I'm excited. I'm excited to see what they do next. Sure. I mean, it's it's a mystery. I can't imagine. I, I don't know how this story ends. I don't either. Um, I've never, never seen this one before. I've, I don't know. I, I wonder if the plucky 13 colonies are going to make it. I don't know. Um, they're, it's, uh, they're the underdogs. Uh, Larry XL? Uh, well, I, I do have one of my CDs uh, handy. So, like, just to show you that uh, this is uh, something you could go and buy online or one of my shows. I have a show... Uh, uh, November 12th at the Milton Theater in uh, Delaware. And then I have a show at Crosstown Brewery in Williamstown, New Jersey, not far from uh, where uh, this podcast <laughs> uh, was set at, at a certain sure. point. Morristown, no, Williamstown, close to yep. Morristown. Yeah, yep. yeah. Very yep. cool. Well, yeah, Central Jersey. I mean, I, it's a small state. Yeah. I mean, it's a small state with lots, lots of people. No, no, it's not. No, not. No, it is not. As somebody who has driven for uh, Lyft and DoorDash in that state, I was like, that is a vast state with a lot of uh, <laughs> very 
uh, distinct socioeconomic ecosystems uh, <laughs> within. Okay. Sorry. I live in Florida. It's a small state. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, it's, you know, um, especially every time I think about like driving yes, to like, Key West. Like to like, drive. God. Yes. Have, have, yeah. Having, no, having you drive across the Florida panhandle, that's definitely like a, a, a soul sucking experience that is, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> very much. Yeah. Um, yep. I drove, uh, I drove from, uh, North central Florida to, uh, to Austin, Texas, um, by way of, uh, well, I guess I stopped in Huntsville, Alabama on the way. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I've, right. I've driven through some, uh, some back country from, from panhandle to Mississippi Delta, uh, you know, back country was quite the, quite the trip. It's the redneck Riviera, baby. Yeah. The Redneck Review. Sorry, I forgot Huntsville, New Orleans, and then Austin. But yeah. Now, now, granted, granted, you you can get some of the best seafood you will ever eat, like you know, on that trip. But uh, like, still, just the, the 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 lack of scenery and 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 culture on on those drives is kind of like staggering. I when I was in Mississippi, driving through Mississippi, uh, it, we drove through part of Mississippi. Uh, it was nighttime. And uh, I'm not even sure where I was uh, in retrospect, but like it was nighttime. There were no street lights anywhere. And, you know, the 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 utter sheer pitch blackness of like being on a two lane high, a two lane road, you know, uh, you know, one each direction it, when it's there's no street lights for, for miles and miles and no city. So there's no ambient light anywhere. And you're just driving through and you the you know, you've got the radio going, but the uh, the the frogs and the crickets and the just the the uh, the fauna in general uh, is so loud that it doesn't matter that your radio is cranked because you just hear like the the cacophony like coming through the windows, and and it's just like I've got my I've got my windshield wipers on because the bugs that continue to splash across my windshield are so big and so juicy that it's just like it's like driving through a hailstorm, and I drove oh yeah balloon. yeah water balloons and I drove for miles, and I'm like. I'm nervous because I'm watching my, I mean, I've got like a half a tank of gas and then a quarter tank of gas. And I'm like, I haven't seen anything. Like I've seen nothing, you know? And I'm like, am I going to run out of gas before I find a gas station? And finally I, 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 and this was sort of, this was back when I like, I printed up like map quest. So, you know, like I had like a physical paper Mm -hmm. and uh, so I'm driving along. um, And then finally up ahead, I see a lot. I see like the lights of a business. I'm like, Oh, it's a gas station. Thank God. And, and it's literally the only place around. And I pull in, and the, the the lights at this place are like completely shrouded in bugs that I like. I've never seen anything like it. And I pull, I mean, there's just bugs everywhere. And I pull in, and there's like thirty people, just like young youngish people, all hanging out in the parking lot, just like hanging out at the parking lot at the one store that exists in you know for like miles and miles around. I was like, I really it was it was probably the only time in my entire life where I really sort of. Uh, it was like a callback to that opening scene of Deliverance. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, you just like you feel like you're in the middle of nowhere. It feels very dangerous because I'm just like, oh my gosh, I mean, I'm in like the the like the. Yeah, if you're yeah. if you're if you're a road comic, you have experiences like that at least twice. <laughs> a yeah, it was something. I uh, I have not, I'm not a road comic, so you know, I've never, yeah, yeah, indeed. All right, um, well, everybody, please check out Larry XL. He's a very funny man, obviously, and um. And you should buy go big, go large, or go home. Is that what I just saw? It is. Uh, it is. Uh, go, go huge or go, or home. go home. Huge in Canada. So, uh, yeah, huge yeah. in Canada. I saw. Yeah, yeah, I've seen huge in Canada. Yeah, excellent. My, that was my first CD. This 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 one's uh, like a, this is uh, the the newer the, the newer of the two, okay. and uh, by far, uh, I think the better of the two product wise. Okay. 
Um, so go yep. huge, uh, huge in Canada. Uh, go, please check him out. It's very funny. See him live if you're nearby. And Mike, we're on Twitter. We're on Twitter. We are on Facebook. For the moment. We are on Instagram. We are pretty much anywhere where you can catch your favorite Are we podcast. on Instagram? I've We're put on us Instagram? on Instagram, but I don't know if we have an actual Didn't Instagram you? Instagram account, oh, but guy. we have been on Instagram. You can catch us if you go to my Instagram, but otherwise I would go to your favorite podcast uh, spot, uh, whether that be Podbean or Apple Pod or whatever. And so for the people who are listening to this podcast already on their favorite podcast app, please go listening. to your favorite podcast keep app listening. to find us. And share it. You can share it. Mike, and another if, if someone has shared this with you, go to your favorite podcast forum and listen <laughs> and like and like share. A, another another excellent uh job plugging our pluggables. Thank you. Damn right. Uh just to, send just us to an email up. too. We have an email address too. <laughs> he does and Brian, Brian will definitely check that because the talent does not answer emails. Email us at unbalancedviews at gmail. You find us on Facebook.com slash Unbalanced Views. And I don't know. Mike has an Instagram. Good luck. I hope you can find it. Uh, we love our Unbalanced listeners. Thank you for listening. And uh, I'm actually going to say goodbye. Goodbye.